All semester long, uh, we are looking at this New Testament letter that was written to the early church in Rome. That's where this letter gets its name. It's called Romans. And last week, I introduced you to this letter. I introduced you to its author, a guy named Paul. And he introduced us to the letter's main theme, which is the gospel. It's this word that translates into good news. This gospel that is concerning Jesus, that's contained in the scriptures, and it's for all nations. We saw last week that this gospel, it also, right, it it speaks to all aspects of our lives. It touches our lives at the levels of our vocation, like what we're called to do, as well as our identity. It's sort of the names that God calls us. That was sort of last week. That was um, the theme of the letter. But this week, I want to introduce you to its thesis statement. We only need to jump like a couple of verses before we find it. It's in verses 16 and 17. And it's what we're about to read and in some ways what we're going to expound upon and unpack for the rest of the semester. We're going to throw it up here on the screen. You can also follow along there on the handout uh, in front of you. Uh, But this is what it says. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, this is the passage that we're going to look at tonight. I'm going to pray now and just ask that God would give us some insight into his word. Father, thanks for bringing us here tonight. I would thank you for giving us this word. Um, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you'd help us to understand it. Um, You'd help us to see what we need to see from this passage, that you'd help us to hear what we need to hear, and you'd open up our hearts to receive and believe what it is you want to impress upon us tonight. Uh, We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's just dive right in. Um, Our passage begins with this this sentence here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation. I want to hang on that very last word for a moment. Um, This word salvation. I'm curious how you hear it. It's a word that gets used a lot in sort of like Christian circles, maybe in church or I don't know, in settings like this in Wednesday night fellowship. And that makes sense. I mean, if there's no salvation, there's no sort of good news. But it's not a word that we use a lot, I don't know, beyond these walls. You don't really hear it much beyond these sorts of spaces. And I think it's worth reflecting on why that is. And also then to ask yourself, like, how does this word land with me? This word salvation means like rescue. It's a synonym. Uh, To save is to be delivered from something and to be sort of set free for something else. I have some questions there on your handout that you can, uh, in, in a moment or in a couple of moments, you'll have opportunity to sort of debrief with your group there. But like, what, is, what do you think Jesus is saving you from? What, if anything, do you think he might be saving you for? Um, I think these are questions that are worth asking. It's not necessarily obvious. Why does Paul say he's not ashamed of this gospel? I think it's because he's faced the pressures that you and I face, which is to keep this message under wraps. I think there's a lot of pressure to be ashamed of the gospel, but Paul's not. This is why he's writing this letter. 
as soon as you say the words like to save or saving or salvation, you are saying something is not right. You are implying that something is broken and it needs fixing. Or that someone's in danger and is in need, in res- uh, is in need of rescue. Right? Something is hurting and it needs to be healed. You're saying that like some things are off or, you know, the situation needs to be resolved. And as soon as you say that to somebody, you're implying that they're not okay, that they're not right, that they need fixing. And people don't like to hear that, right? They might retaliate that you're being judgmental or hypocritical or exclusive. And I think it's for some of these reasons that people want to maybe keep this message to themselves, to just kind of put their head down, to just kind of keep their mouth shut, and to not talk about it. But I think there are other reasons why we don't hear this message of salvation often. We live in a secular kind of society, a secular culture that believes the only things that are real and true are the things that you can sort of see and touch. It's like, can you see God? Can you touch him? No, well then he doesn't exist because the only things that are real and true are the things that you can see and touch. The language that is used, at least in some, I don't know, philosophical circles, is that we're living in a closed system. When people say that we're living in a closed system, what what they're meaning is that there's nothing beyond sort of this here and now, this visible here and now. It is a closed sort of system, nothing beyond it. Nothing beyond the physical, material universe. It's been a while since I watched this, the the Disney movie, Finding Nemo. But I was reminded of uh, of it this week. Um, I know and remember there is this scene where Nemo, this like clownfish, like was born in the open sea, loved to explore it. He gets captured, as you know, if you've seen the movie. I don't think I'm spoiling anything for any of you. And he gets plopped into, like, I'm sorry, Alex. He gets plopped into an aquarium in, like, this dentist's office, you know, in Sydney. In this aquarium, Nemo is conditioned to believe that this fish tank, which really is a closed system, is all that there is. From here on out, like, this closed system is... Your world, Nemo, right? This is your new home. You should get used to it. There's nothing beyond this tank. And I think of Nemo in this fish tank. Nemo, who can only see the aquarium, sort of the plastic plants and his tank buddies. And yet he can remember his dad. He can remember the love of his father. He can remember life on the open sea. And there's this dissonance. Because while everything around him screams, you're in a closed system, he has these memories. It's almost like he's haunted, and it's like something is not right. This doesn't fit. And I think we, we know what that feels like. I think Nemo's experience of the aquarium and the dentist's office is analogous to the ways that you and I experience life in a secular culture. Because our culture has created a closed system, as it were, saying, look, this is all that there is. There's nothing beyond this sort of physical material space. It's just this gravel bottom. It's just these plastic plants. Here are some fish flakes for you. But I think 
we're haunted of that good, good father that we sang of. We're haunted that maybe there is a bigger, better world beyond the one that we just see presented to our senses. And this is the sort of the state that we're in where this letter lands in our laps, this letter to the Romans, almost like arriving at your doorstep, or if it was 2023, you know, being sent to you in an email or popping it up as a notification on your phone. Like we're going through our life, we're sort of in this aquarium like Nemo, and all of a sudden this letter lands in our life and it says, look, those feelings that you have of like something beyond, those feelings are not a fantasy. Those feelings, it, it, it's not a fever dream. Like that's real. You're remembering something that is real and true. Um, and this letter then goes on not to give you like good advice for just like coping in the aquarium, it tells you good news about a, a, of outside intervention, of a God who like leaves heaven for earth, who like invades this space to fix it and to fix you. And this, again, it's not advice. It's not about what you need to do. It's, it's a word about what has been done for you and what is being done for you. Paul says, I'm not ashamed to talk about this. This is true. It's the gospel. Salvation is possible. And not only is it possible, it's attainable. And you might ask, well, how and where? And Paul says here in verse 16 that the power of salvation is found in this message, this gospel, this good news story that is centered on Jesus. This gospel is not just what God did to save us way back when. He's saying here in verse 16, the gospel is how God saves us now in the present tense. In the preaching and the teaching and the explanation of this story, God is saving lives here and now. You can think of this gospel, this sort of story concerning Jesus as like a live wire. If you touch it, it's going to shock you. It's going to electrify your life because it's like alive. There's energy and power coursing through it. And so to, like, to come into contact with this thing that we're talking about right now, it has the power to actually like shock you and like bring you back to life in a way. That's what Paul's saying in verse 16. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The second thing I want you to see is that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. What does that mean? That's another one of those words that you might hear a lot in a setting like this, like righteousness. It's not maybe a word that you hear out there, but let me break it down for you. This word righteousness of God is speaking to his all rightness. His righteousness is his all rightness. Everything about him being okay and more than okay, like perfect. It's his perfection. It's his perfect goodness. It's his perfect, like, justice, flawless. It's his astounding beauty. All of that sort of wrapped up in this phrase, right? The righteousness of God. How does the gospel reveal this to us? How does the gospel reveal to us the righteousness of God? 
The gospel reveals the righteousness of God by revealing to us Jesus Christ. You want to see how perfect God is? Look to Jesus. There is no one as good as he is. You've never seen somebody talk like him, sort of walk through this world like him, like navigating relationships so so perfectly and kindly. and Like there's no one like him. You want to see God's perfection? Look it to him. You want to see God's justice? Again, look to Jesus. Look at him in his life, but also look at him on the cross in his death where God is not compromising on his sense of justice at all. He's punishing sin and evil to the max, but he's not skimping out on his love at all because he's dying for you. He's dying for the sins of the world. His justice is perfect. And you want to see him in his, in his, in his beauty? Again, look to Jesus. Like Jesus is that, like we see it sometimes in cartoons where like a really good character like laughs and like flowers spring up in its place. Like just wherever he goes, like there's flowers like sort of in his wake. That's the kind of vibe I get when I like read about Jesus. He's just a beautiful person. It's like the most beautiful person I've ever encountered. I, I, and it's like I want to introduce you to him too. The gospel reveals to us the righteousness of God, his perfection, because it shows us Jesus. But that's not all. It's like, wait, there's more. There's something more to this word, and there's something more that Paul means to convey. Because the righteousness of God is not just something that God has in himself. The righteousness of God is something that God wants to give you. And this is huge. And so I, like, I'm going to say this again. Listen closely. The righteousness of God is something that he offers to everybody who puts, like if you put your faith and trust in him, he gives you this incredible gift. He gives you the gift of all rightness, of being totally okay. You're like, I don't feel totally okay. He's like, it doesn't matter how you feel. I'm giving you some, this is who, this is now who you are and how I see you. And that's really all that matters. I'm giving you my all rightness. Some people think that when Christianity, what Christianity teaches is that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God forgives your sins. And that's absolutely true. He does. But that's only half of it. That's like just part of what it means to be saved. And frankly, it's not even the best part. I want to illustrate it to you for you this way. How would you feel if the world's richest person said to you tonight, I'm going to forgive all of your college debt? How would you feel? That's great. Yeah, yeah, you'd be like, all right, thanks. <laughs> but how would you feel if the world's richest person said to you, I want to make you my heir? Like, that's way better. Like, forgiveness of your college debt is great, right? Like, awesome. I was $60,000 in debt. 
I don't know, whatever it is for you. Let's just say 60 grand. I was $60,000 in debt. And now the world's richest man wants to forgive my debts. He wants to sort of forget, forgive the, the debts that I owe. That takes you out of the negative and it brings you to zero. But if somebody makes you their heir, you're not just taken out of the negative to zero. You're taken like out of the negative to like the overwhelming positive because everything the world's richest man has now is your possession too. You tracking with me? When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he's not just forgiving your debt. He's saying you are now my heir. You are with me. You have a share in me. Everything that I have becomes yours. And everything that's yours becomes mine. And look, y'all, this is a great exchange. Because like when we go from like this side and we go over here to Jesus' side, we get everything that Jesus has. And everything Jesus has is like his righteousness, his perfection, his beauty. Like heaven, it becomes yours. Right? Does it mean the forgiveness of your sins? Of course it does. But it's much, much greater than that. The gospel reveals to us the righteousness of God. It reveals to us his perfection and his, his justice and his beauty. It reveals to us, too, this gift that he wants to give to you. We're going to have, like, so many opportunities to, I think, like, illustrate this. I'll just stop with that one. Um, It brings me to our last point, which I'm going to make quickly. This gift of salvation, this gift of righteousness, it is revealed from faith and for faith. The gospel is, first of all, from faith, which is to say that it comes out of God's faithfulness to us. It's because he is faithful to his promises to save and to heal and to fix the broken world, that, like, that, like the world that he made good and the world that we broke. He makes promises very, very early on in the scriptures, like as early as Genesis 3, that someday he's going to send someone born of Eve, like who's going to, like, who's going to be born as a human being, who's going to fix everything wrong with the world. He's going to make things right, and he's going to get wounded in the process. He makes this promise And that promise gets articulated and sort of zeroed in on through as you go sort of through the Old Testament. You're like, okay, it's going to be a child of Eve and then it's going to be a a child of Abraham and Isaac and um, or Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And the, 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 the focus is getting narrower and narrower. And sure enough, Jesus stands on the scene. He's like, look, all the ancient promises are true. The long wait is over. I am here. I'm the long-awaited one, the one who's come to make everything wrong, right? We see in him like all of the promises of God, all of the things that he has declared, I'm going to do for you. They're true in Jesus. He is faithful. The gospel's from faith, right? But it's also for faith. The way that we receive this salvation, the way that this righteousness sort of enters into our life, it's not by working for it. It's not like you have to go on some arduous quest to like find this like rare flower to bring back to some sort of 
I don't know, magician is going to turn it into some compound and then give it to you to drink. And then you're like, aha, I'm saved. No, that's not what this is about. This is not about you going on a quest for anything. It's about God going on a quest for you. It's not about like, what do I need to do? How do I be perfect? It's about you being imperfect and God being perfect for you. So that when he goes and he dies on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins, he's not paying the penalty for his sins. He's dying for yours. His perfection makes it possible for him to be an atoning sacrifice for you. That he can die for your sins and not his own. That's what all of this is about, right? You get this as a gift. It's like the presents under your tree, like a couple of months ago. You didn't earn, like, you didn't earn those things. You didn't work for them. Your mom and dad just gave them to you because they love you. And here's like the greatest gift of all, right? It's this gift of like, a reconciled relationship with the God who made you and who died to save you. It's available to you. And while it's not free for him, like he paid a lot for it, it's free for you. Like it's a costly gift. It's like the most expensive present ever, but you get to receive it for free. Like with the empty hands of faith. Because faith, faith is the hands that receives what God has to offer. That's what faith is. It's receiving the gift that God has to offer. There are behind these walls, like cables that you can't see carrying like electrical currents. It's what's making all of these lights work, right? There's a lot of power around us, even if you can't see it with the naked eye, but it's there. If, you, if that power is going to be of any benefit to you and to me, like if it's going to make a difference in our life, we've got to plug into it, right? Our plugging into it doesn't mean, like if we don't plug into it, it doesn't mean it's not there. It's always there. The power is always running in this building. And in some ways that's true about God and his salvation. It's always in the background of your life. It is always there. But you got to plug into it. You got to receive it. And the way that we do that, that connection, that happens, that's faith. That's what faith is. It's receiving, sort of tapping into this God and this salvation and this power that's all around us. And this letter it introduces us to that God and it introduces us to the ways in which we can experience this new kind of life that touches us, like I said last week, at the level of our calling and what we're called.